Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jeff. Thanks, Mickey. I appreciate it. Uh, Jeff K., Composable Reader. Thank you. Um, wow, welcome to the big time, huh? The OA Light a Candle podcast. This is, uh, this is exciting. Um, I guess I'll just start from the beginning. Uh, let me get my details out of the way first. Um, I am... We always like to say God willing, but really God's always willing. So if I'm willing, uh, and I stay abstinent till February 25th of this year, I will have six years of continuous abstinence from, originally it was white sugar and, sorry, it was uh, processed sugar and white flour. Now it's pretty much most flour, wheat flour based and sugar. So appreciate that. Um, that is absolutely miraculous. It's unbelievable. Um, I did, it's, it's my second go in, in Overeaters Anonymous. I came in about, say about two years plus earlier than that, um, I got about six months of abstinence, dropped about 40 pounds, started getting a couple of resentments towards some of you, <laughs> maybe towards a lot of you. Of course, how can I look at myself? I mean, that was obviously all of you, right? Um, I then stopped coming to meetings as kind of happens, right? And uh, I actually got to 357 days of abstinence from that six months on my own. And then I like to say I was the uh, victim of a drive-by milkshake. And, um, and it was on again. You know, it was on again. I'm sure a lot of you can, can relate to that. Um, and it took me, you know, a year plus and gaining all my weight plus back. Um, my top weight that I weighed myself, I was 300 pounds. I'm a big guy. It doesn't seem like maybe that's a lot. I'm 6'1". I'm broad-shouldered. Um, but that's what I weighed myself at. There's pictures of me because I stopped weighing myself as soon as I saw that number. I didn't want to see that number again. Um, I mean, I probably got up to three and a quarter, maybe 350, depending. There were some other habits going on during that during that time as well. I am also a recovered compulsive gambler, uh, alcoholic, and drug addict as well. I celebrated just celebrated 10 years in both those programs. So as you see, I got there first. But what's interesting, and of course, through working in those programs, uh, that led me to OA ultimately, because as I peeled the layers back and as I was having this incredible life and growing. My weight was going up, and my I was just out of control. Um, when I got here, you know, I, I, I finally just had enough. I'd had enough. It was, it was a night, you know, I guess it was probably, I actually got abstinent pretty quick, so it was probably February 24th of 2013. And, uh, you know, the night before I'd gone on a huge binge, came home from, from going out and, uh, you know, ordered a late-night pizza and the breadsticks and you name it, and just overindulged and, and as we do and I just found myself in tremendous amount of physical pain in the shower kind of curled up in a fetal position like I just I can't do this anymore you know I just can't do this anymore and it was similar to my other experiences where you know I had to hit a bottom that was painful enough for me to say okay because really it was like <laughs> do I have to really I gotta go to more meetings like I'm in two programs already I gotta go to a third program I gotta go to more meetings yeah you know, the answer was yes, because what my life had become, even though I bottomed out with food, 
my life had gained incredible traction. You know, I was able to be employable. I was reliable again. You know, I was of service to other people in my other programs and outside my programs. I've held down a job to this date now coming up on summer will be 10 years, which has never happened in my entire life. That's the longest job I've ever had. And, and I am, it's incredible, you know, and, and I can complain because I work for a big, you know, corporate, corporate place. But at the end of the day, it's, it was a godsend. And you know what, if I hadn't been at least in those first two programs, there's no chance I would have been able to, to get that job. There's just no chance, you know. Um, I certainly wouldn't have gone past the drug test, that's for sure. Um, so, um, you know, let me go back to the beginning since we have a long time. And I know, are you the timer? Okay, cool. So if you do me a favor and just kind of, you know, maybe even when there's like 20 minutes, because I have a tendency to ramble. I know a lot of people get nervous when it's like a 40-minute chair. I'm like, oh, 40 minutes. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I do these like 10-minute chairs in a way. And it's like, by the time I get, I'm like, wait, it's, it's 10 minutes already? How does that happen? So, yes, and those of you who may know me, it's, it's good to see a lot of new faces in here. So welcome, by the way. Welcome, welcome, uh, particularly to the newcomers and people counting days. Um, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Stay out of the personalities. Stay out of what other, you know, just listen for the similarities. You know, listen for, relate to. I've heard another speaker in some of my other meetings. One of the most important, important, important um, things that you have to get in this program to really be able to come here and stay is identification. If you come in these rooms and you're not identifying, I, well, why would you stay? Why would you want to stay? I don't have anything in common with these people. I don't hear anything. I don't hear my story. You know, but if you listen long enough, what's amazing for me and why I know this is a disease is, and what really kind of kept me in here is when I first came, the first meeting I came back to was the 10 a.m. meeting at the cottage here in Los Angeles. Um, and I walked in and I was the only guy. And uh, that was nice. It gave me a good perspective from my other programs where usually it's very male-dominated. But you know what? I didn't care. I just didn't care. I was there to save my life. And I got open and I got vulnerable. And I sat there and I listened to... You know, women who were of my guild, who were overeaters, but there were also bulimics and anorexics in the room. And I heard my story in their shares, too. And I, if I can relate to a woman who's, you know, 10 years younger than me and 200 pounds lighter than me, like, there's something here. You know what I mean? It's just a different way to hurt ourselves. Some of us overeat to hurt ourselves. Some of us undereat to hurt ourselves. Some of us purge to, to feel relief. But the, fortunately for all of us, the answer is the same. So, um, so you know, I'll go back to the beginning. I was uh, born in Maryland um, to New York Jews. Not sure if you're uh, familiar, but um, they're wonderful people. Just over love and over food, right? I mean, we 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 sit together at breakfast and we're planning lunch. At lunch, we're planning dinner. At dinner, we're talking about what we're eating the next day. You know, um, and you know that's just what I was brought up in, but. I can tell you that this is definitely a disease. For me, it's a family disease. My mom and dad both have struggled with, with food all their lives. Um, they have, my mom particularly has found later in life. I mean, when I was with her, I went to Weight Watchers when I was a kid. I was a fat kid. I was a heavy kid, right? Young, right during those really formative years, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And it stuck with me to this day. I still have that fat kid in my head because... When I got into middle school, I actually, I went through a growth spurt. I was pretty tall, pretty quick. I thinned out. But in my mind, I was still that fat kid. And I remember, I remember when Facebook first came around. Um, yes, I'm that old. Um, and, uh, and I was, like, petrified because all, I saw what it was. Everyone putting old pictures up and seeing all your old friends. 
And I was like petrified to see pictures of myself. And of course, over the time, friends started and I finally joined and here come all the pictures. And these pictures were from like my middle school and high school years. And I was in, I was in great shape. I was an athlete. You know, I used to, I still was a compulsive eater at the time, but I could get away with it because I was exercising and constantly either in the pool or at the gym or playing basketball or football or whatever it was. And I was able to, to be in good shape. But I remember even just gaining a little bit of weight in my mind. That's all I remember from that time. I remember like having a little tiny bit of a fold over jeans in this camp picture. And sure enough, that picture pops up on Facebook and I'm looking at myself like, what am I doing? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't fat. I was not. But it's still, it's such a body dysmorphia in my head that, you know, it's still, it's still with me to this day. And I still, um, I'll walk past the mirror and some days I'm disgusted with myself and other days I'm okay with myself. So what I've learned to do is try not to look in the mirror too much and not take, you know, particularly when you're walking from the side, that's not really fair. It's not really fair. It's not being fair to yourself. Um, but, um, you know what, I, I, I stay away from things like that. Like, I weigh myself once a month, if that. Um, and I will tell you, that, that was a long process for me. It took a while for me to, to... I understood that this is a spiritual solution. I understand that to, to get this thing to really get recovery, you know, as my willingness goes up, my weight goes down. Um, but for me... There was this struggle because I first, personally, first when I came here, because I'm a big guy. I came here on all the, you know, the big guy party pack, right? Blood pressure meds, gout medication, you know, uh, you know, I'm on stuff to lower my triglycerides. I mean, you name it, diabetes, you name it. I had it, right? And um, and so, you know, for me, I know I need. I know if I lost weight that a lot of those things are going to take care of themselves if I, if I do that. So there was kind of that focus. And I hear, you know, very well-intentioned speakers telling me that my body's not my business and I kind of wanted to strangle them. And, uh, you know, and I really battle with that concept. I really battle with that concept. But you know what? I, I get it today. I really do get it today. Because what happens is, is when I am spiritually fit, when I am doing the things that got me, particularly, you know, I have experience, right? That's the other thing that's infuriating. I've got 10 years into other program. I sponsor a lot of guys in those programs. And, like, I find myself beating them overhead to do their step work and do the things that I'm, and yet here I am in OA, and, you know, and it took me a long time to get through my steps the first time. And I have a new sponsor, and he's taken me through the steps, like, read one paragraph out of the 12 to 12 and write one paragraph. And I want to, like, stab myself in the throat. But... I I made a commitment and I was open and I said you know what I, I, I got to try it I can't do it's, I can't do it my way I have to try it someone else's way so for me this program has been the toughest I, it's the one where I take my will back the most but I can the, the good news is I can tell you that when I'm willing and when I'm taking direction and when I'm out of the way everything takes care of itself when I'm connected and by the way if the word God trips you out, whoever's listening, whoever's here, it's not the God I'm talking about, right? It's just a word. I don't, the God I grew up with is really not that I connect with today. For me, it started in these rooms, because when I came here, I was angry with God. I grew up, you know, I didn't grow up religious, but I grew up in a, in a reform home, reform Judaism, we're kind of the least religious of the Jews, and, um, but I went to a summer camp that was, that was very Jewish, and I really connected there spiritually, like it was on a lake, and I found a connection between my religion and nature, and those, and I loved it, but I experienced a lot of my, my 
you know, family members passing away. I had an aunt that committed suicide when I was a kid. Both my, my grandparents, my dad, my grandfather died of Alzheimer's. And then I had a couple friends of mine who passed away from, you know, like leukemia and cancer when I was in eighth grade and freshman year. And I really started not only questioning God, but being angry with God. Um, and that took me a long time. You know, I carried that around with me for a long time. And eventually what happened was, and I can, when I look back on my history with my addictions, because the crazy thing was, other than food, which like I said, I was able to cover up because I, you know, I was in good shape, um, the drugs and the alcohol, I didn't drink or do drugs in high school or college. I mean, maybe a couple times, smoked weed a couple times, like not your typical, my friends were doing cocaine. It was crazy. Like my friends were doing cocaine and acid and all kinds of stuff in, in high school and college. And I stayed away from that stuff. Um, gambling was always there, but it wasn't, you know, out of control at that point. I hadn't progressed yet. But when I can pinpoint back, and I, it was like when I was about 20 years old, where I finally just kind of said, F you to God. I'm just, I'm, I, I don't, be, you know, I can't believe that you would do this. And I had that crisis of faith. The floodgates started to slowly open. Like, that's when I started to experiment more. And that's when, you know, when into my mid-20s, I was drinking a lot more. And then I, and then I started experimenting with drugs in my late 20s and early 30s. And I made up for lost time, don't worry, you know, because I am, I am definitely an addict. Um, and I was lost for a long time. I was very lost for a long time. And on, you know, July 16th of 2008, I walked into my first 12-step meeting. Now, I had friends who had been in 12-step meetings, but I'd never gone to a meeting with them. Um, I kind of understood the concept. I actually heard the serenity prayer before, but I didn't really kind of relate it. And that was, again, was an anonymous meeting. And um, I felt at home for the first time in my life. I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. I had been looking for an identity. I was a chameleon. My black friends growing up thought I was black. My white friends thought I was white. I was like super Jew to the Jewish kids. And, you know, and I just like, I'd go over to my friend's house across the street for Christmas. Like, I just fit in everywhere I could because I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And I was that obnoxious, loud, you know, like reluctant leader who like at summer camp, they'd yell my name to get 90 people to shut up. I'm like, really? Why are you yelling at me? You know, I don't want that attention, but of course, I was craving it, but I also hated it, right? I have a disease of self-hatred, right? And I have to overcompensate for that self-hatred, which is I have to feel better than just to feel equal to, right? So we talk about when we come here about smashing our egos, it's really about right-sizing our egos for a healthy ego, right? Because our, we're all out of whack. We have low self-esteem with an with ego that's out of control, craving all this. I mean, I collected people like I ate donuts. It was, you know, it was ridiculous. Um, and what I found here through this process is I don't have to do that anymore because I've started to love myself. You know, and I also found love in these rooms. True, real love. People who put their hand out, call me back at all times of the night, you know, go out of their way to help me just because we have this thing in common. And it was insanity, you know. Um, so if you're struggling, please just keep coming back. Um, sometimes it takes longer than others. You know, I, I, we're not going to judge you if you've taken some time, if you've gone in and out. We're not going to condemn you for that, right? It's your process. However, if you really, you know, if you really are coming here and you're not giving it your full effort, I'd suggest trying that. You know, try getting a sponsor. Try taking direction. Try sticking to a meal plan that someone else suggests for you. Because I know when I'm picking the meal plan, French fries are on the menu pretty much every meal, you know? Um, and that's the other thing. My, my abstinence is, has, has grown over the years, and it's continued to grow. And actually, I'm, I'm speaking to my sponsor, you know, recently about maybe some things I'm going to have to add to my abstinence because 
fries and chips and stuff like that, which I'm allowed to eat, are showing up a little too frequently, you know? And it's, you know, and when you put your hand in a bag of something and it's tough to stop till it's done, maybe that's something I need to take a look at, right? Um, uh, I apologize for those of you who aren't here. There is a dog in the front row that is the cutest dog. Imagine Chewbacca as a puppy, as a baby. <laughs> and it's so cute. I'm just, I love it. There she, there she is. Um, yes, for, for those of you who aren't in Los Angeles, we actually do bring our dogs with us to meetings. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I love it, actually. I can't bring my dog. He's a little too big, though, but I don't think they're worth it. Anyway, I, sorry. I, I, he's so cute. I had to mention him. Um, so, I, um, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but um, so when I was a kid, I was a heavy kid, and then um, I grew out of it, and I got here, and I would say that um, L.A., for me, you know, was like a godsend and kind of a, you know, a, a, a strike three as well, right? It's where it's some of the, where most of the, a lot of the addicts come in the world and also where the most recovery is, you know, and we're really blessed. And I know this is a podcast that goes out all over the country. Um, and so a lot of us don't have the kind of meetings and everything that we have here. You know, the cool thing about OA is there's phone meetings. Um, there's these podcasts that you can go to. Um, and I would just suggest, you know, you know, really trying to connect any way you can, getting phone numbers any way you can. Um, because it's 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 really an incredible journey, you know. My my sponsor in my other program actually taught me early on, um, like what are we what are we doing here? Like what are we recover here? You know, like we call this recovery. So what are we actually recovering? And um, really, what we're recovering is our potential. You know, at some point in our lives, you know, whether it was two years old, five years old, ten years old, whatever it is. You know, we have potential as a human being. We have potential to grow into whatever it is we're going to grow into. And depending on when our addiction really kicks in or when it happens, you know, we kind of stop. We kind of, our, our growth is kind of stunted. And we come here and we're able to recover that. We're able to grow again. We're able to get back into it. We also recover possibility. You know, I know when I was a kid, I mean, there was a lot of things in my head that I thought I was going to be or that I was going to do, you know, and, and, my world just kind of got smaller and smaller and smaller the more I got into my addictions. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy ride. You know, my family, when I first called them, when I was coming to my first, my first fellowship, you know, I had done some things that could have got me in a lot of trouble. And, you know, I picked up the phone to call them to ask for help for a bailout. And uh, they were just like didn't recognize who, this, who their son was, you know. I was a good student as far as they were concerned. I was, a, I was an athlete. You know, I never got in trouble when I, I never came home, you know, past, I would call. I was that kid. Like, hey, mom, I'm just going to stay. They, they were cool about it because as long as they called and said, hey, I'm going to stay out later, they trusted me, you know. And um, thank you. And um, I lost that trust. You know, I destroyed that trust. I stomped on that trust, you know, with my brother, with my mom, with my dad. They, they, my mom wouldn't even speak to me when I first called. She couldn't. She just didn't. She couldn't get it. She didn't understand how this son that she knew, because you know they live a long way away. They still live in Illinois. Um, actually, we moved from from New York to Illinois. I was born in Illinois, and they've been there ever since. And um, and my brother, who I travel with a little bit, and I meet him in Vegas. Like he saw some crazy sides to me, even though I tried to hide a lot of the stuff. Um, like they were just devastated. They couldn't believe who I had become. They didn't. They didn't want to know. And I had, 
you know, I would say borrowed money from them. Some might say stolen because it's under false pretenses, I guess, you know, um, and, uh, and lost it due to my addictions, you know, one way or the other, whether it was food, drugs, whatever it was. And, uh, and it was a lot. It was a lot of money. And um, I was calling them for a bailout again, you know. And um, fortunately for me, and, and I, it's not suggested in all these programs, they actually did help me. But for me, I, I, didn't, I never looked back. Um, from that day, I have been in recovery since. Um, today, it's a different story, you know. I have, it's incredible. I remember I was, I was home um, early on in my recovery. And I had about nine months sober. I wasn't in OA yet. Um, and I went out, actually, ironically, met a friend of mine out at a bar just to catch up. And this was like the second time he'd seen me in that year and noticed I hadn't been drinking, which clearly was different than what he was used to. And uh, he asked me, you know, what's going on? And I told him. I told him I was sober. I told him, I would, you know, I'd stop gambling. I told him, all, you know, the story. And when I got home and I told him, you know, my mom said, oh, what did you guys talk about? I said, oh, I just told him what was going on with me. And my parents were really upset. You know, because this is a small town. It's a very gossipy town, you know. And I hadn't, to that point, really told anyone outside of my family, just out of respect for them. But it really upset me, the reaction. I was pissed off. Like, you know, come on. I got nine months. This is, you know, I'm a different person. Like, what, you know, what, what do you mean? Why are you upset? What are you worried about? This is a good thing. Can't you see how well I'm doing? And I was furious. And I went outside and I called my sponsor. And my sponsor... He said one of the one of the biggest lessons. This is my first sponsor. He said um, they don't have to accept you; you have to accept them. And I was like, "What are you talking? What are you? What are you?" You know, I was like railing again. He goes, "No, no, let me tell you again. Because they don't have to accept you; you have to accept them. They don't have a program; you do." And just this kind of like calmness came over me, you know, and it really made sense to me. They still don't get it. My parents really still don't get it. I had a conversation a couple years ago with my mom, and we were in a, we were in a, uh, we were at the, like the Meyer <laughs> in my hometown. It's a big thing to do on a Friday night if you know if not, nothing's going on, and uh, it's like a big Ralph's or like a Walmart almost, right? And um, and we were talking about we were just talking about we we're talking about recovery, you know. And my mom had actually tried away in the Midwest, and unfortunately, the group she attended was a little too religious. Some of the traditions were maybe being held up, and there was a lot of religious, and it scared her off. You know, she'd been to Weight Watchers. She'd been to all these different things all in her life. I mean, my mom was 5'4". At one point, she was 240, 250 at her biggest, and she's maintained. She's now in, she's been in amazing shape for years now. She refound Weight Watchers. It works for her. I mean, I'm supposed to say anything about that, but it didn't work for me. So what I what I found is only this has worked for me. And... Um, and she looked at me and she said, I said, Mom, I was trying to explain to her about addiction and how it doesn't, it's not, first of all, her fault. It's not my parents' fault. You know, this is just something that I have. My brother doesn't have this thing. Son of a gun. Um, you know, I was like born 5'10", 175 pounds. I don't think he's ever gained or lost weight in his life, you know. Um, and, uh, and she looks at me and she goes, Jeff, I understand addiction. She goes, I just couldn't, I don't understand that it's you. You know, spoken like a true mom, right? You know, and uh, and that that resonated with me. The cool thing is, is that they don't have to understand. They don't have to fully understand it because today they see what my life has become. They recently came out. They came out for my two celebrations, um, and they were blown away, blown away. You know, we went the service work that I do. That I just I learned from all of you. Like, I didn't come here, you know, doing service. You know. Uh, I was selfish and self-seeking. 
Um, and and what I learned here was to be other-centered, not to be self-centered. You know, and I also learned balance here, though, because when I was new, I was too far. I was giving so much of myself that I really didn't see that it was actually hurting me too. So I had to find some balance in there. Unfortunately, I have. You know, I still go to a lot of meetings a week. I still sponsor a lot of people in these programs, and, but it really, it's really been the greatest gift, you know, that that I've ever been given. Um, acceptance of other people, learning that spiritual principle has been incredible. Right? Because acceptance doesn't have to mean agreement. I don't have to agree with you. Right? But I can accept you for who you are. And, I, man, is that a principle that I can use anywhere? Right? It doesn't have to be just in these rooms. Another principle that I use anywhere is the amends process. That translates to, to real life, so to speak, outside of these rooms. Right? I'll give you a quick example. I, I was working. I said I have a corporate job. And there's a team of us that sometimes work together. And... Um, and we were in a meeting, and one of my coworkers, you know, he hadn't been. I'm presenting my my clients to him to present other opportunities, right? And he was kind of disheveled, and he wasn't shaving, and he wasn't looking the part, you know. And I was me, him, and another and a female coworker, and I just kind of brought it up, and he got defensive. And instead of me backing off, I went in. I went in a little harder, and then he got defensive and came back at me. Actually, it was funny. I had lost weight at that period, and he was like, well, your stuff's hanging off you. I was like, oh, thanks. That's really nice of you. I almost took it as like a compliment, even though really we didn't mean it as a compliment. But um, but then, and we just left the room, and I was like, wait, what just happened? I thought I was, I was trying, like, I thought I was coming from a nice place to be like, no, dude, let's work to, you know. And he just kept, and I got back to my desk. And for those of you who are new, what we do here is what's called, the, we work the 12 steps of recovery, right? And... There is an amends process, right? There's a 10th step where we look at our part. And if we see we've done something wrong, then we make amends immediately. And I went back to my desk and I went from angry because I, he, you know, we had gone back and forth a little bit to like, whoa, I just really embarrassed this guy in front of a coworker. And I, I saw my part like immediately. And I stood up and I went into his office and he, I saw him puff up ready for round two. And I just straight up made an amends to him. I said, dude, I am really sorry. Um, first of all, an amends isn't just an apology. It begins with an apology, right? I'm sorry for what I've done. But the second half of an amends is how can I make this right? You know, and part of that was just I promise to never, never do that in front of a coworker again. If I have something to say with you, we'll do it in private. And we have that relationship now where, like, we can tell each other, hey, do this, looking for this. We teach each other. We try to learn from each other. And... Um, I'm happy to say we have an incredible working relationship today. And that, that experience to watch someone, you know, if you go through that process, particularly for people that have never experienced that before, like he just lit up like, I just can't not believe that this is happening. Like how does in corporate world, someone's coming in and owning something that they did wrong instead of trying to step on me to get ahead, right? And it's, it's what I learned here is teamwork. And this process of the steps, I can quickly go through them. I think I have, I guess, a few more minutes. Um, 12 minutes? Okay. Um, I'll go through it, and then I guess I can open up the questions. But, um, you know, the, the first step is the only step we can do perfectly. Um, it's the step that admitting, you know, there's actually a step before the first step, which is out of the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is admitting to our innermost self that we are, put the, you know, compulsive overeaters, whatever it is that we're suffering from. Um, that is the first step to recovery. And then once we do that, you know, the first step is 
crucial to really fully giving yourself to that stuff. The other steps we do imperfectly. We try to do them as thoroughly as possible, right? But what happens is when I came here, I mentioned the word God earlier. When I came here, I was angry with God. I didn't have a connection with God, right? I was angry. And when I went away, all my additions came back. So it was really hard for me to hear that when I first came in, as it is for a lot of people, right? Because there's God littered through our 12 steps all over the place, right? Um, Or higher power. Fortunately, someone who I knew that first night took me aside after the meeting and said, did you feel the power from that room? And I said, yes, because I had. I had felt that connection from that room. And he said, well, that, that, can, be, that can be God. All right, that's a higher power. When two or more of us come together for the purpose of recovery, we're in the midst of God. We're in the grace of God. We're kind of under the umbrella of recovery. So he said, you know, you and I sitting here talking, we're a power greater than just you. You in that room are a power greater than you. And I really, for whatever reason, it just made complete sense to me that night. And that was my higher power for a long time. And you know what? If it never goes beyond that, that's a fantastic higher power. Because individuals may come and go in this program, but the fellowship remains. And there is always someone, anything you're going through, life situations, death situations, issues with food, issues with family, someone in this program has gone through it and remained abstinent. And we have this wealth of information and experience that we can just kind of dip our hand to at any time and pick up the phone and say, hey, how did you get through that without binging? How did you get through that without throwing up? How did you get through that without overeating? Right? And it's incredible. We share our experience, strength, and hope. We give each other's hugs, spiritual hugs, and physical hugs here, you know, to, to get us through those days. So um, that connection, just that little kind of turn of the key of being open to that concept, that's step two and three. Step four is kind of the boogeyman. People get really afraid of that, of, of you know, because we have to really do a thorough inventory of all the stuff we've done, and then in step five, share with another human being. It's really scary at first, but really what my experience has been is that most of the steps we make out, we, as an addict mind, everything is worst case scenario always, right? There's nothing that can be worse. It can be as bad as I have it in my mind, but I've already made it out to be as bad as it can possibly be, right? So my experience with that is once I get through the pain of having to sit down and experience that and go through that and revisit all the things I've done and then look at my part, that is actually freeing. Right, and um, when we get through the rest of the steps, obviously we get up again. The ninth step is another big one that people kind of fall short on, where we make direct amends to people wherever possible, and that's another one for me. Uh, my experience of that step was, for the most part, half the people didn't even know what the hell I was talking about. They're like, "Really, you did that? I didn't even know you did that." But thanks, I appreciate that, you know. And then a lot of them were. Most of the people were, were actually just really happy to see that I was doing well. They were like, I was wondering what the hell's been wrong with your crazy ass for, oops, excuse me, for so long. You know, like, I'm really glad to see you doing well. And then there's a portion that, you know what, we don't always, we don't get forgiveness. We don't always get forgiveness from that step. Some people do forgive us, but some people don't. We've done some bad stuff to people. We don't deserve forgiveness maybe from other people, but we have to forgive ourselves. So we have to put ourselves on the top of that list because I know for a long time I was resentful of myself. So, um... I could, I could speak all day. I could keep going. I'm sure I have a few more minutes, but um, I, I just I want to end with kind of a message of hope. That if you're sitting and you're listening to this, or if you're sitting here in this room and you're struggling and you feel alone and you feel hopeless, that there is hope here. There is hope here. Because if I can sit here with six years off of sugar and flour, like I'm the guy who would go to 
you know, a sandwich shop and order a loaf of bread and eat the loaf of bread while I'm buying my sandwich to take home with me and eat on the road, right? I could not possibly see a life without these substances that it's possible. It's really possible. So I'll end there, and if anyone has any questions, thank you for the time. Yeah, the question was, uh, how have my relationships changed throughout this process of recovery? Drastically. Um, first of all, I had I was one of those guys who knew a million people at the bar. I walked in, I was I was like Norm, you know, like a cheers. Like literally, I would walk in, my drink was waiting for me at the bar. I stood up in two of my bartender's weddings. I was a best man in the third in my bartender's weddings. And you know what? I, I Some of those guys I'm still friends with, but 99% of those people I'm, I'm not friends with because they were bar friends. They weren't really true friends. I didn't have – I collected people. Fortunately, over the years, I've collected some incredible people, and I still have them in my life. Some of them I kind of went away from for a while, and I rekindled. And our relationships are growing incredible, and they're really real. Um, I would say probably the most profound effect is, as I've talked about with my family, um, my brother has three children, and um, they're loves of my life. And uh, they, he wouldn't have let me in their lives. Now he can't get enough of me around them. My brother has just called me because he wants to come out here with his with his new girlfriend to visit me for, you know, for his birthday in, in next month. Like, he wasn't speaking to me. He told me to F off and go to jail and learn my lesson when I called him for a bailout, which was probably the right response, actually. Um, my parents and I relationship is the best it's ever been. They trust me again. They trust me, you know. My mom actually, um, the last trip when she came out here, she called me for, before she, she called me for some advice about something she dealt with, at, you know, because mm -hmm. she deals with, she lives in the Midwest and she deals with some racism and some anti-Semitism still. And she's noticed that over the years I've kind of gotten past that and I'm able to accept people for who they are. It doesn't mean I agree with them, but I accept them. And I don't have to – I used to fight physical and get into all that stuff about stuff like that. And, and I asked her why she was calling me, and she said, I'm the best person she knows. Mm -hmm. I mean, where do you get that, you know? And I wasn't a little while before that. I also have a beautiful fiancé that I met in this program because, you know, when – I'm ready, she will appear. When you're ready, they will appear because I kept working on myself through this program. So that's just a small tidbit. Yeah. And the question is, how do I handle being around groups of people with a lot of sugar? Um, I have to be honest with you. Most times, I, I if I know I'm going to be in that environment, I just I go in. I have one of my, my current sponsor would say, um, I'm going in. I'm going in. God, cover me. You know what I mean? Like say a little little prayer in the door. Um, I think for the most part, because I do, I'll get to you in one sec, as soon as, as soon as, because of my amount of meetings I go to and the fact that I sponsor people and that I am connected, I use the tools of this program. For the most part, I'm able to look at it and be like, it's just not mine. You know, that's one of the cliches here, right? If it's not an option, it's not a problem, right? That's one of the cliches we hear here. But you know what? It's not my food. So, and if, I would say with any substance, if it gets to be a little overwhelming, I can just remove myself from the situation. If I have to, because I got to take care of me first. That's why I usually make sure I take my own car to places. If I need an exit strategy, I have one just in case. But there's always also I can step out and phone a friend or text my sponsor or do whatever it is to reconnect. Because for me, that's God. When I connect to you, whether it's a text or a phone number, or if I see you in a shopping mart and we get the, the attic nod, you know what I mean? That, that little head nod of, hey, I know you, you know? That's a connection. That's energy. That's God for me. And it 
gives me and I'm able to go. So there's a lot of different ways I would do it, but for the most part, I just I get myself you know ready and just know it's not mine. So uh, question was, how did I choose my abstinence? How did I start with my abstinence? How did we get there? I didn't do it myself. That's the first thing. Because um, I don't know. For when I got here, I didn't know what a portion was. Right? To me, a 20-ounce 20 20 ribeye was a, was a portion. Right? Um, and um, that's actually my sponsor calling me. Sorry. And um, I, uh, I sat down with the sponsor, and the sponsor gave me direction. The first direction was just you don't have an abstinence yet, so just keep eating the way you're going to eat, but keep a food log. What are you What are you eating? When are you eating? And what times are you eating it? And then I did that for a week, and then we looked back. And if you had asked me first, I would have said sugar for sure was my number one issue. When I looked back, it was bread, 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 bread. I had bread with breakfast, bread with lunch. I had a sandwich for lunch. I had a piece of toast with dinner. I mean, it was you know, it was obvious. And sugar was certainly an issue in there as well. Um, certainly, and then but for, that's not for everybody. So my abstinence is going to look a lot different than your abstinence, possibly. My meal plan will look different. For me, I separate my meal plan from my abstinence. Some people combine them, right? So we set up a meal plan. My meal plan is three meals a day plus three optional snacks. I rarely ever eat three snacks. If I'm eating my meals and my snacks, it's more than enough food. But I also have, I've visited a nutritionist, which you can do as well to seek some outside help. But I worked with a guy who had a very similar body type as me, and, and he said, here's what I eat. Here's the portion sizes I eat. Here's what a normal portion looks like, right? Try this, and let's go from there. And just, it's one meal at a time sometimes, right? So it's getting direction from somebody else. Yeah, that's it. Well done. All right, thank you all very much. We really appreciate your time.